BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills. There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Welcome to the Science of Success with your host, Matt Bonner. Welcome to the Science of Success. I'm your host, Matt Bodner. I'm an entrepreneur and investor in Nashville, Tennessee, and I'm obsessed with the mindset of success and the psychology of performance. I've read hundreds of books, conducted countless hours of research and study, and I'm going to take you on a journey into the human mind and what makes peak performers tick, with a focus on always having our discussions rooted in psychological research and scientific fact, not opinion. In this episode, we discuss the dangers of playing it safe in life, how we can learn to celebrate more, the power of cheering on, showing up, and serving other people, how to balance the acceptance of negative emotions with amplifying the good and focusing on the positive, what it means to live life in the front row, lessons learned about living from people who are fighting for their lives, and much more with our guest, John Vroman. The Science of Success continues to grow with now more than a million downloads, listeners in over 100 countries hitting number one new and noteworthy and more. I get listener comments and emails all the time asking me, Matt, how do you organize and remember all this incredible information? A lot of our listeners are curious how I keep track of all the incredible knowledge I get from reading hundreds of books, interviewing amazing experts, listening to awesome podcasts and more. Because of that, we've created an epic resource just for you, a detailed guide called How to Organize and Remember Everything. And you can get it completely for free by texting the word SMARTER to the number 44222. Again, it's a guide we created called How to Organize and Remember Everything. All you have to do to get it is to visit successpodcast.com and join our email list or text the word SMARTER, that's S-M-A-R-T-E-R, to the number 44222. In our previous episode, we discussed the inevitable technology shifts that will be impacting our future. The second industrial revolution, the importance of having an open mind, critical thinking, and seeking disconfirming evidence. We explored how to better ask questions and why it's so important that you do, and talked about some of the biggest technology risks with Wired's Kevin Kelly. If you want to hear more about the inevitable future of technology, listen to that episode. Lastly, if you want to get all the information we talk about in this show, links, transcripts, everything, and more, be sure to check out our show notes. Just go to successpodcast.com and hit the show notes button at the top. 
Today, we have another exciting guest on the show, John Vroman. John is the co-founder of the Front Row Foundation, a charity that creates unforgettable moments for individuals who are braving life-threatening illnesses. He also teaches others to live life in the front row through teaching and inspiring others with the art of moment-making. He's also an award-winning speaker, podcast host, and the author, the best-selling author of the new book, The Front Row Factor, Transform Your Life with the Art of Moment-Making. John, welcome to the Science of Success. Hey, thanks for having me. Good to be here. Well, we're very excited to have you on. So for listeners who may not be familiar with you and, and your story, tell us a little bit about yourself and, and how you got started living life in the front row. Oh, wow. This is always the time when I go, do I go back to the very beginning? <laughs> I'll give you what I think is the most exciting piece of it. And in the short, by the way, childhood version is I grew up in a great family, traveled around a bunch. Dad was military. Mom was a school teacher until she stayed at home with the kids. I'm super grateful for my family and my upbringing. What ended up happening was that when I was in high school, though, and this is really important to the part of the story of how I started living in the front row, was I was really, really short. Matt, like I was like, I mean, I was 4'10", I weighed 85 pounds driving a car to school. And um, I was either bullied or insignificant, unnoticed or picked on. You know, those two things were occurring in my life. And that was sort of the pain that created a prompt for me to be able to want to not only step up in my life, but to help others. And where this whole idea of living life in the front row came from was actually three big things that happened in my life all around the same time. And this was in my mid twenties. This all happened. One was I was asked by a mentor to rate my contribution to the world. Like, Hey, are, you know, when it comes to making a difference in the world, how would you rate yourself on a one to 10 scale? And uh, I didn't like my answer. And so that was like a big prompt for me that something needed to change. I'd been very caught up in myself and not serving others. Second thing that happened was I was at a Jason Mraz show and I remember being in the very back row and I looked to the front and I saw this group of girls having the time of their life. And I remember thinking to myself that they looked like they wanted to be nowhere other than right there at that moment, at that show, and they were having a blast. And then I looked in the back where I was and I saw people kind of checked out, sitting down, not as engaged. And I turned to my girlfriend and said, life is different in the front row. And the front row, of course, being a metaphor for getting close to the things that light us up, that make us come alive. And I thought to myself, this is not how I'm living. I'm living life as a spectator in the back. I'm watching everything happen. I'm playing it safe. I mean, the back is really safe, right? I see everybody. Nobody sees me. It's an easy out. But, you know, the front is where the energy is. And I thought that's where I need to start playing life is, is there, uh, really stepping up. And then the third thing that happened was a buddy challenged me to run an ultra marathon. And this is in my, you know, my late twenties and I'd never run more than a couple miles in my whole life. This was a huge step for me, but we committed to doing it and we were training for this ultra marathon. And uh, we thought, you know, th aren't we supposed to like raise money for a charity? Isn't that what people do? They go run and they raise money for charities. And that conversation quickly turned to what if we started a charity? <laughs> what would that look like? Like what would be the ideal charity? That was sort of the, the topic of conversation. And all these things that happened, it was sort of a perfect storm scenario. And not only had I been thinking about contributing, and now this question popped up, but this whole front row experience at the Jason Mraz show. And next thing you know, uh, the, the words just rolled off of my tongue, Front Row Foundation. And we thought, well, what if we 
What if we help people, you know, to have this amazing day? And the more we explored it and the more we thought about starting a charity, we, we really dug into our fears and our loves. And what I mean by that is that if you want to do something in the world that's unending fuel, you need to really understand what you're moving away from and towards and what you fear and what you love. And I said, well, what do I fear most? I'm like getting to the end of my life and feeling like it was insignificant, feeling like I wasted my life or feeling like I didn't maximize my time, make the most of every moment. And then I thought, what do I love the most? I thought I love experiences. I love moments with people. I love telling stories. Remember when we did that? You know, and I thought, wow, what if I help people who are fighting for their life, you know, who have their timeline perhaps threatened to be shortened? And what if we have, help them have the best day of their life? And Front Row Foundation was born, and that was 11 years ago, and here we are today. So that was kind of the story of who I am, how I got to where I am and started living life in the front row and, and uh, how we got to the charity. Wow, that's amazing. There's there's so many things I want to follow up on and, and dig into. T to start with, just simply tell me tell me a little bit more about what what does it mean to you? And you've already kind of hinted at it, but what does it mean to you to live life in the front row? Life in the front row to me is a life of full engagement. It's a life of courage and being present to the moment. You know, when so our, our charity, we help kids and adults have a life threatening illness, see the event of their dreams from the front row. And when we started it, we thought that was it. It was like, we're going to create this amazing day and tell their story. And, and we thought it was about the person who was fighting the illness and about the day. What ended up happening, though, over the years was we realized it was so much more than that, and that living life in the front row became a lifestyle, became a way that they approached every day of their life. And we started to see some patterns emerging from this. Like One of them was we had a, created an event for a, a young man named Thomas K., and Thomas was you know, fighting for his life. He was in a wheelchair. I was losing his eyesight, and man, our hearts really connected with Thomas and his fight. We wanted to send Thomas to go see the Rugby World Cup in New Zealand. And what we had heard was that once we told Thomas he was going to be going to the event, Thomas was really motivated during his physical therapy because he wanted to stand for the national anthem when he got to the event. And what we saw was the power of hope. See, the thing about living life in the front row is like when we look forward to an event, we call this the anticipation principle. It brings the power of the future into the present moment. So living life in the front row is about even bringing something that we're looking forward to into the power of now. What we underestimated when we started the charity was living life in the front row could begin even before the event itself. Right. So we understood the power of hope. Living life in the front row is also about celebration. Uh, one of the things we underestimated was the photo books and the videos that we do for every recipient. And again, we thought this would be great for the recipient. But what we didn't anticipate was the effect that it would have on their whole family and, and the effect on everybody for years to come. And we would show up to a, you know, visit a recipient in the hospital six months after their event. And we would see their photo book from their front row day sitting on their nightstand. Or we'd go visit them in their house and we'd see it on their coffee table. And they would tell us, they're like, no, everybody knows you do not move this off the coffee table. That is the one thing that always stays there. And we understood now about the power of the past, the celebration, bringing what was into what is and bringing the power of the past, not living in the past, not living with rear view, you know, mirror syndrome, but living, bringing the power of what was into the present moment. Living life in the front row is about remembering what was great 
And all of this, this hope for the future and this power of the past came back to the power of the present moment, which is about living now. And people told us over and over again, like living life in the front row has taught me to value and appreciate every day. So a front row life is one where you are fully engaged. You know, my mentor, uh, Tony Robbins had said many years ago, you know, proximity is power and it's what you get close to. We understand that in real estate. We understand that with relationships. Uh, we understand that on so many levels about when we are close to something that makes us feel alive, that to us is a front row life. And that's what we have found over the years is people were not only doing it on this one day, but they were doing it every day, whether it was watching a sunset, whether it was playing with their kids, whether it was doing work that you love, it was something that you were getting close to in life. So that is the essence of living life in the front row. I want to dig into proximity's power. And I, and I also don't want to forget the, the question about rating your contribution to the world because that's such a fascinating dialogue. But before we get into either of those, I'm curious on, on the concept of celebration. That's something that, you know, I've been to several Tony events and, and he talks a lot about celebration being kind of a core component. And it's something that I feel like I've personally struggled with. I'm curious, how do you, you know, teach people to, to celebrate things? Yeah. <laughs> so that's a good one. You know, I went, when I was writing the book, I wrestled with this a lot because my wife will tell you that over the years I've struggled with celebration personally struggled. Like for example, New Year's is a really important holiday to my wife. She's Russian, born and raised, lived there for 18 years. And New Year's is a huge deal. And for me, I always felt a tremendous amount of pressure around New Year's, so much so that I didn't enjoy it. I was like, it, I, I had more fun on a Tuesday than I did on New Year's because New Year's just felt like it was so important that I didn't even want that pressure. I was like, how do I even win? Do we go totally crazy and spend tons of money or is that just buying our way into happiness? And I really wrestled with this a ton. But what, what I've found over the years about celebration and through my own personal struggle and exploration and watching other people is that we all celebrate in different ways. And then, you know, celebration doesn't have to be jumping up and down and screaming and yelling, although it oftentimes is perceived to be that way, that a true celebration is tons of balloons and tons of music. And, you know, that's a real celebration. And there's nothing wrong with that. In fact, I love that. But what I've also realized is that celebration can be quiet. It can be internal. It can be represented. It can represent our truest values. We don't have to make it look like what the world wants us to make it look like. Celebration can happen in a moment. It could literally be a second. And it doesn't have to be something that we're measuring against some other celebration of outdoing a former celebration, et cetera, et cetera. So what we help people to do is we help them to realize that celebration can be looking back, looking forward, or looking at this present moment. When we think about being a moment maker, we think about taking something in the past, like we talked about before, and celebrating it, bringing light and attention to it. For example, it can be something really small, like one of our family traditions, and I have two young boys, seven and two years old, and at dinner each night, we'll ask our family, we'll go around the table and say, what was your front row moment today? And our front row moment is just a highlight moment. It was just a great part of the day. We'll also celebrate failure, though. See, we have to realize that celebration can often be about what we learned from an experience. It doesn't have to be something that was awesome. It could be like, hey, what was challenging and how did we learn from that? So we do our front row moment and our failure every night at dinner. And that, there's little ways that we can learn to celebrate life that way, you know, by, by asking the right question. What was the gift and the challenge? What was great about this? What, you know, we often teach people when, they, when we want them to be moment makers and we write about this in the book and we give them tons of examples and questions is, you know, but one of them is, how do I recognize or create a front row moment right now in my life? 
and we can turn a moment, uh, any moment into a celebration, if you will, because celebration is a way of appreciation. Celebration is a form of gratitude and we can all be grateful. We can just say, wow, I'm so, uh, we can, we can see the, the joy in so many moments in life. And I'm not the first one to say, you know, when somebody's going through a tough time, I'm not the first one to say, well, you know, hey, it's, let's look at the bright side. Sometimes it's okay to be like, this stinks, right? Like this is, this is rough. This is terrible. And I'm not talking about celebrating 24-7, talking about experiencing the full range of emotions of life. But I am talking about bringing more celebration into our world, even in small, tiny ways. And often that's done by asking the right question. What is what can I celebrate right now is a very simple, straightforward question. How can I celebrate somebody else? If you're listening to this right now and you're like, I'm having a hard time celebrating myself. Great. Start with celebrating somebody else. You know, when I think of, when I go out to dinners with people, uh, we get groups of friends or, you know, I'm with, with my wife without, but I'll often ask myself who at the table could we celebrate? or what's worth celebrating in life right now. And I might say, hey, let's go around the table and everybody pick one thing that they like to celebrate with the table. You know, oftentimes we don't want to brag. We don't want to tell everybody, hey, everybody, I did this awesome thing because that's just not cool, right? But what if it was cool? What if we could make it cool? What if we could give them permission to celebrate? So that would be an easy way that when you're at dinners with people, ask them. Or when you're in conversation, like if just, you know, one of my buddies calls me up the other day and I have this thing that I do with most of my friends. I'm like, give me this 60 second brag. And really what I'm doing is I'm just giving them permission to celebrate with me about what's great in life. So anyway, I could go on and on, but those are some, you know, simple ideas about how we can learn to celebrate and why we need to celebrate. That's such a great question. And I love the, the idea of focusing on how to celebrate somebody else. It takes you out of all of the, the ego and getting caught up and not wanting to brag and whatever else. And, and it makes it so crystal clear. And I actually sort of smiled to myself when you said that. And I was thinking of a particular moment where I was celebrating someone else and is having an incredible time with it. And, you know, that's, that's a really good way to kind of get out of your own way to, to embrace celebration. So yeah, t t tell me a little bit. Well, and let me, let me actually, I'm going to comment on that too, because, you know, I remember uh, one of my buddies, I won't even say his name, but he's, he hosts one of the biggest podcasts in the world. And he, remember he asked me, he challenged me. He's like, well, wait a minute, if you're living a life in the front row, cause I was talking about being a participant, like don't be a spectator in the back, be a participant. He's like, wait a minute, aren't you a participant? I mean, aren't you a spectator in the front row? And then people will be like, I want to be on the stage of life. And I'm like, great. I want you to be on the stage of life. That's not the point. The point is it's about, it's about service. I think we missed the point that when we're in the front row, we are cheering on our favorite band, let's say, right? And ask that band if you're a participant and you're in the front row, you're singing, you're dancing, ask him if you're a participant, ask him if it makes a difference of the front row going totally nuts for that person. See, the front row is also a metaphor for serving people. It's about stepping up for people. We can't always be on the stage of life. We can't always be the center of attention, a life of serving others, a life of cheering on people in our world, right? Showing up for people. There's so much purpose in that. There's so much meaning and love and joy in pointing the energy on somebody else and lifting them up. I get genuinely excited when my friends succeed, genuinely excited. In fact, right next to me on my wall, I have eight, my top eight this is what I do, top, top eight relationships and their biggest dream written right next to me on the wall. And I'm always looking at that saying, if I'm in their front row of life, am I cheering them on? Are they feeling me? Are they knowing that I'm there? Can they see and feel and witness my support of their biggest dreams? 
And so I really think that's important about like shining the light and trust me, you know, there's lots of opportunities for us to take the stage and sing the song and do the thing. But we also need to have this be a piece of our life where we're showing up for others and being a moment maker, not for just ourselves, but for other people. And chances are when you be a, when you're a moment maker for somebody else, you're going to feel the moment yourself. You're going to get caught up in it. So tell me more about that. Tell me what, what exactly does it mean to create a front row moment and, and to be a moment maker? So a moment maker is somebody that takes a moment and they either recognize the beauty in the moment, the joy in the moment. It's a, what we say, it's a, it's a yes moment, right? Like uh, watching a sunset, beautiful example. I'm front row to the sunset because I'm in close proximity. I can see it, feel it, experience it. I take a moment to notice that sunset and breathe into it and pause and be there. Like one of my buddies, best advice ever, he walked up to me at a big fundraiser we were having, 325 people showed up, he's one of my best friends in the world, his name is John Kane, and he walks up to me and says, John, just take a moment, look around, and just appreciate this. Like a lot of times in life, we're so caught up in doing the next to-do, doing the next task, we're missing it. He's like, just take a moment and just look around and just feel this. So sometimes being a moment maker is just recognizing what's already there and not always chasing what could be, right? It's a, we always talk about like, where's the best party in town? The one you're at. Who are the best people to be with? The ones you're with. When is the best moment? Now is it like, right? Like it's, it's really taking a moment to recognize what's great. And then it's asking when we want to be create a moment, it's about asking those questions going back to earlier, like, how could I make this special? So a great example of how the power of moment making and how it shows up in our life. I remember we were finishing the book. I was out to lunch with my wife. We were at this Mexican restaurant here uh, down the street from where I live in Austin, Texas. And my wife and I were talking about being a moment maker. And she's like, so what are some practical examples of how we could be moment makers? That's a great question. So our waiter, my wife, we started brainstorming and our waiter came up and she immediately got it. And she said, excuse me, sir, um, do you guys have a comment card? And he goes, like, he looked at us like, nobody ever asks me this question about like, do we have a comment card for the restaurant? He goes, we do. He brought it over and she wrote this beautiful note to our waiter. And at the end, we were asking the question, how can we be a moment maker right now for our waiter? And we asked for the manager to come over and we just showered the manager with compliments about our waiter and how great he was, how kind he was. And he lit up, the manager lit up, the waiter lit up. And we were lit up because we turned what could have been a normal everyday lunch into something special, right? And there's a ton of examples of how we can be moment makers in our lives. And they're not always going to be front row at our favorite band. They could be simple moments in life where we turn something normal into something spectacular. Yesterday, great example, we had friends over to our home. And one of our friends, it was about, about you know, 10, 20 people or so. And one of our friends said, hey, let's all get in a circle and let's go around and let's everybody say your name and one interesting thing about yourself like that we might not know. And that turned into like just this incredible moment for our party that would have been lost if everybody just would have been talking individually. Everybody got a voice. Everybody got to know other people because it was a new group. People didn't know each other. And I think those are some practical examples of how we can be moment makers in life, right? By asking these interesting questions like, how can I just amplify this moment? See, one of the things that I learned, Matt, was that you know we have to amplify the good so we silence what's not. And I'm going to say that one more time. We amplify the good 
so that we silence what's not. And I'm not talking about ignoring all your problems in life. I'm not talking about you know, uh, not addressing things that are of critical nature, but I'm also talking about not getting caught up in the things that you can't change or aren't really productive to change. You know, and I learned this lesson back when I was 17 and I got a, a Jeep. It was a CJ seven, 1983, dark green, tan top, big tires, my favorite car. And, uh, you know, but it had a ton of rattles. You drive this Jeep down the road and it would be like, everything would be rattling. Right. And I remember trying to fix all the rattles, shoving these little pieces of foam and styrofoam everywhere to try to stop the rattling. And I was like, oh, this is worthless. So I just bought a better stereo. <laughs> and I laughed because I was like, that solved my problem. Just a better stereo, right? More of what I want, less focusing on trying to fix what wasn't working. And that's what we do when we're moment makers. We amplify the good. You can always find out what's wrong, what's missing, et cetera. And sometimes that's important. But, but oftentimes it's important to just say, how do we amplify what is here? How do we bring about the best of what is? That is a moment maker. Ophthalmologist Dr. Strauss has seen firsthand how the metaverse is helping surgeons practice the procedures to treat cataracts. Cataracts are the primary cause of avoidable blindness. He works with a virtual reality training platform developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International to help surgeons develop the muscle memory they need. The result, more confident, capable surgeons. And even more importantly, patients who can see. Explore more stories like Dr. Strauss's at meta.com slash metaverse impact. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. I normally find bras to be so uncomfortable and constricting. But Skims has changed that. You know I love Skims underwear, so I finally tried their bras, and Skims has delivered again. Skims bras are worth the hype for the amazing shape and support they give. But what I wasn't expecting was how comfortable they are, too. I've tried so many bras in the past, and the main issue that I have is that they weren't supportive enough, to the point where they felt slouchy. I love my Skims wireless form bra because it's so comfortable and supportive. The older I get, the more I care about actually being comfortable in what I wear every day. And with my wireless form bra, I no longer have to sacrifice my comfort for the support I need. Shop Skims bras at skims.com, now available in 62 sizes, 30A to 46H. Plus, get free shipping on all orders over $75. If you haven't yet, be sure to let them know we sent you. After you place your order, select podcast in the survey and select our show in the drop-down menu that follows. Hiring the right person takes time, time that you often don't have. But you shouldn't let a time crunch get in the way of finding the right candidates for your business. That's why LinkedIn is the best place to post your job. In fact, I was on LinkedIn Jobs this morning looking for candidates to fill a key role in one of my businesses. LinkedIn Jobs screens candidates with hard and soft skills you're looking for so that you can hire the right person quickly. 
You can look for things like collaboration, creativity, and adaptability, looking beyond just work skills and resumes to connect you with the candidates who are a perfect match for your business. That's how LinkedIn makes sure that your job post gets in front of the people you actually want to hire because they have a much better ability to get a deep insight into exactly who is the right candidate for you and your business. Find the right person meant for your business today with LinkedIn Jobs. You can pay what you want and the first $50 is on them. Just visit linkedin.com slash success. Again, that's linkedin.com slash success to get $50 off your first job post. Terms and conditions apply. I love this idea and the concept of making moments and I want to do it more in my life. And, and I feel like whenever I go to something like Tony or one of those events, I come home, I'm really psyched up. I want to do all this stuff. And, and for a couple of weeks or months, you know, it's, I'm really amped about it and I'm living life in a different state and I'm being, you know, I'm creating these random acts of kindness and doing all these things. And then at, time sort of passes by and, and I lose that energy. How do you sustain it? And how can anybody listening, not only listen to this episode and go maybe create one moment, but listen to this episode and become somebody who can create a lifetime of moments. Yeah, we'll create, I think, first of all, our lives do flow from, you know, from higher and lower energy. I think that's normal and natural. I don't think it's actually reasonable to expect that we leave an event like a Tony event as an example and stay on a level 10. I don't even think that's a proper expectation. I don't even know that that's the life that I would want. I mean, I want to experience the full range of emotions. I want to know the cold so I can feel again what it's like to be hot, right? I want to know that. And I, I, but I, what I do think is that more often than not, I call that the 90% rule because it's like, well, 90% of the time, where am I living? Like I want to live a certain way and then occasionally understand what it's like to not have things. You know, I actually like remove things from my life. So I learn to appreciate them again. Like occasionally I'll be like, I'm not going to drink any alcohol for 90 days. I just want to appreciate that glass of wine next time versus that being just like a, an everyday numbing type of activity. I want to, I want to know what it's like to not have something to have it back again. I remember I felt that when I went to the Dominican one time to serve on a mission trip and I saw, you know, when you see true poverty, it helps you appreciate so much more of your life. And I certainly came home and lived with much more gratitude for that next week or two than I did previously. And that feeling faded. I think that's normal. I, I feel like number one, we need to make sure that we have events like Tony events or whatever event we, I partnered with my buddy Hal Elrod for the best year ever blueprint event, which is every December we host this live event. We host a, a front row, a personal transformation and co-creation summit. That's a mouthful, isn't it? And you know, here's the thing. It, it's, it's about continuing to do them. It's about going back and doing these things so that we can re-energize it's why people go to church every Sunday as an example. It's not because church is broken and they leave and then they're only fired up for a couple of days. That's very normal. That's why they have to go back. It's like going to the gym. It's any muscle that you're trying to tone. You have to continue to find the source and go get that. It doesn't mean you have to pay for a $5,000 Tony event every three months. It means that you could form a community. You could find a community and it could be free, but you talk to people, you create a group of people that realign with what you value. 
So one is getting plugged into those communities. Number two, it's creating daily habits that allow you to do that. So I brought up Hal a moment ago, one of my best friends, and he wrote The Miracle Morning, in case anybody is listening and hasn't heard of it. I know most people probably have at this point. But you know, The Miracle Morning is just a practice where we do these few things in the morning to prep ourselves during the day or prep ourselves for the day. Hal and I always joke that he preps people for the day and then I help people be moment makers throughout the day. So he tees them up and I help them be moment makers all day long. But it's about giving to ourselves in the morning. So the way I do it is I read every day. I put something in so I've got something to come out later right? I meditate every day. I read every day. I get some type, I have a policy for me that's just sweat daily. It's not about when I do it. I mean, I like to work out in the afternoon, like three o'clock in the middle of the day, right when I'm like, um, burn out, I go work out. You know, that's what I do. And I think that we, we have to learn how to take care of ourselves so we can take care of others. That's truly what it is. I always say, be a moment maker for yourself so that you can be a moment maker for other people. So ask yourself, what charges you? What fuels you? And everybody listening is different, right? Extrovert, introvert, people, some people are fueled by an environment and some people are drained by that exact same environment. What makes you come alive? What environments, we call that what's in your front row. There's three things I talk about in the book where I talk about there's three areas of focus to be a moment maker in life. And that is, first of all, you have to have a focus on your mindset. How are you tuning your mind? What are you reading? Are you meditating? How are you tuning up the questions that you're asking throughout the course of the day? How are you exercising that piece of you, right? Your mindset. Second is relationships. Who's in your front row? Who do you put in your front row that's cheering you on? Who are you? What relationships are you close with? Are they lighting you up? Uh, and then the third thing is your environment. You know, I, I told somebody yesterday they were visiting my house and I said, my office is set up in a way that there is nothing in here that doesn't light me up. I made a commitment long ago. I was like, if there's something in my office that's there that doesn't make me feel totally alive, it's gone. When I walk into my office, I feel juiced. I feel excited because everything is designed with purpose and meaning. I'm looking at a front row recipient over on my wall. I'm looking at like pictures of my kids. I'm looking at my friends and their goals. I'm looking at a dry erase board that says create on me. I'm looking at a calendar that says this is our year and this is what we're doing. I've got quotes hung up. But it's about, it's about creating an environment that makes you come alive. So those three things, again, were mindset, relationships, and environment. That's how we shape ourselves so that we can help shape other environments for other people and create experiences that make them come alive. It's kind of like the idea that uh, on a plane, you're supposed to put the oxygen mask on yourself first, right? And uh, it reminds me of a, of a quote from the Dalai Lama where he said that, uh, I think the question was, how can you be happy in a world full of so much suffering? And, and his response was, who can you help if you're not happy yourself? Yeah. yeah. That's it. My mom used to say, hurt people, hurt people. That's you know? great. Yeah, that's a good one. And it's just like if we're hurt inside, then we tend to go out and we express that to the world. But it's also that if you are, you know, if you've been helped, then you can help others, right? A helped person can help others, you know, and if you sometimes you need to help yourself, you need to be the lead rescuer for yourself, <laughs> you know, participate in your own rescue type of deal. If you're, if you feel like you're drowning, if you feel like you're struggling, then first of all, participate in your own rescue and be around others that will help you. But it's a team effort and you have to be involved. Tell me a little bit more about the, the 90% rule and specifically, and this is something that I wrestle with a lot, 
which is the the sort of the tension or the balance between the idea, as you called it, sort of amplifying the good versus the the other side of the coin, which is sort of introspection, digging into your your past and your negative emotions, and really embracing and accepting those. How do you how do you balance those two things? I balance it in a way that ultimately, at the end, you look at what result are you getting. You know, at the end of your equation, how much time you're putting into each of those, do you end up feeling alive? Or do you end up feeling sad and down? Because if you end up feeling sad and down, you're putting too much energy on what's wrong, right? We should ultimately address that. We can feel feelings of sadness or discomfort. I think that there's a great deal of energy that's that comes from when you're fed up and you're angry. Like I've gotten to the point where my house is so dirty, I'm like, I'm pissed, right? And it's like, and then I just go do something about it. And I find a tremendous amount of energy from being pissed off and angry. And I'll go, as long as that translates into something that eventually you go, ah, I did it. You know, like I feel better here. But if it's not, if you're not getting that relief at the end, then you're not, you're not ultimately taking enough action on what's wrong in order to solve it. Right. And there's seasons can last for different lengths of time. It's like, you know, it might be 10 minutes. It might be 10 weeks. I've had times in my life that it goes on and on and on. It feels like it might not ever end, but you know, we, we need, sometimes we need to have faith that there is a bright side at the end. Sometimes we need to have other people that have that faith for us that say, don't worry, the season will end. It's coming. Trust me. You know, I can see it. I know it. I feel it. The 90% rule for me is about what happens most of the time. You know, I talk to this about, I talk to people about this. Whenever I've led teams over the years, I talk to staff members about being late as an example. If you're late occasionally, it's no big deal. Like if you're literally, Matt, if you're on time, 90% of the time, 99% of the time, right? If you're on time, if you're late one time, people will forgive you. It's when being late becomes your norm, when there's always an excuse, and and I think that when it comes to like d- daily habits or disciplines, I don't know anybody that really does things that they teach even seven days a week, you know, or a hundred percent of the time, right? Somebody teaches health and it's like, they, they still have days where they eat junk food. They still have days when they're not going to the gym or working out. There's, there's, it's just what, you know, for me, the 90% rule is most of the time, you know, when you think about the quality of your life, it's like, the, you know, I'm not going to say I'm not going to have bad days or bad moments or moments where I need to be introspective or think about what's missing or what's wrong and how, what can I do about it. But I, I need to know where am I spending the majority of my time? How do I show up most days? So like, I don't work out every day. You know, I don't eat healthy every day. Uh, I'm not a great dad every day. I'm not a great husband every day. I'm not a great businessman every day. But most of the time, I, I strive to be. And I think that's where we need to be operating from in our life is the majority rule, right? The majority of our emotions. And if we're not there, well, then we need to read a book, dig in with our journal, surround ourselves with some people that have figured that out and start working on ourselves and working on our situation, our activities that we're spending our time with, where we live, you know, our environment makes a, a big difference to how we feel. It's why we moved to Austin, Texas, because we looked at community, culture, climate. Where, do we, where are we going to thrive? And just like any nature will tell you, look outside and just ask. Like, you know, you don't get the right amount of, you talk about oxygen, but it's like same, right amount of sun, right amount of water, right fertile soil. You're, you're not going to become, you're not going to thrive. You're not going to hit your highest potential. Somebody listening today might be in the wrong 
line of work. They might be in the wrong relationships. They might be living in the wrong areas. Their home might be dragging them down. Their office might be dragging them down. We need to consciously make choices that light us up, that make us come alive. And some of those would be easier to change than others. Some people are listening going, oh, I can't move. I can't, you know, I, I am stuck with all these things. And I'd say, oh, that might be true on some level that, you know, for you, transition might be a little harder. But if you set that goal and, and start asking questions and start making steps, one step, you know, when we move to the front row of life, we do that one seat at a time, one step at a time. Right. And, and that's how we do it. It's like, and it's not about, let me, let me also mention this. It's not about, it's not about, it's about your best seat in the house. So somebody's listening and they go, I'm not a front row kind of person, right? Um, I, that's fine. I'm talking about your front row, right? I'm talking about your front row. You, I don't want to be front row at the movies. I don't, it's not the point. It's about the best seat in the house for you. Where do you get the best view, the best vibes, the best energy, the best excitement? You got to be honest with yourself about where that is. And we always say, you don't always choose your seat in life, but you can always choose to have a front row experience. So if you're listening right now and you're like, well, I can't change that right now. Great. You own the seat you're in. No matter what seat you get in life, you can always choose to have a front row experience. But I will tell you this, if you don't like your seat in life, either own it or move, own it or move. So either just rock what you got or <laughs> figure out where you want to be and go get it. And that's it. So tell me more about the idea that proximity is power and how we can cultivate these, these relationships and these people around us to help us live life in the front row? Well, proximity is power is simply about what you're close to. It is about the thoughts that you are close to, what questions and affirmations are you holding in your head all day long? You know, are you going through the day asking, how can I be a moment maker right now? What's great about this? What is the next most effective to do on my list? What activity could I do that by doing it makes everything else irrelevant or unimportant? Right. That's sort of a, a one thing question. You ever read that book uh, by Jay Papazan and Gary Keller? No, Such I a haven't. Good book. I've it's never heard of it. It's an amazing book. Yeah. It's called The One Thing. And it's about asking this primary, it's about asking a big question about like, what's the one thing I could do? But by doing it makes everything else irrelevant or unnecessary, I think is the question. But I think that, you know, it's the thoughts that we hold close. So the front row is the metaphor of what we're close to, right? That's simple. It's about what we're close to. Our thoughts, Whatever we're thinking, whatever we're, whatever questions we're asking, if you think about questions drive our lives. That's not a new concept. So many people teach this, right? This isn't my idea. That's an age old concept that has been taught by so many people, but we have to sit down and actually craft and think about what questions are we trying to answer? If somebody goes through their day asking the question repeatedly, you know, what is great about this situation. What are the gifts in this challenge or any or any situation for that matter, whether it be a challenge or a, you know or something positive? It's what's the gift in this? How can I amplify that? How can I best utilize all my available resources both inside myself and outside of me in order to make something that is not only beneficial for myself but everybody around me? How do I create a win-win-win? So our questions drive us. That's our mindset. And that's, that, that to me is the, the most important thing because what we know in dealing with people who have been fighting for their lives, and this is what the book is about. The book is about everything we've learned about living life from people fighting for it. Let me say that one more time. This book 
is everything we've learned about living life from people fighting for it. And what we've noticed is that people have this extraordinary mindset. They take any situation and make it great. Let me give you a, a perfect example. Let me tell you a story about a woman named Nikki, who a couple of months ago, I had the privilege of taking Nikki to a Dallas Cowboys event. I was her host, her husband, John. They came in from New Jersey and a huge Dallas Cowboys fan. Nikki's originally from Dallas. And we do <clears throat> limousines and dinner and there's gifts and it's all sorts of fun stuff for their front row day. And we were in the limousine heading to the game. And Nikki was telling me about how sometimes when she goes out in public, people will look at her with disgust. And she was referencing the fact that she was going through chemo and radiation and she had lost her hair. And when she didn't wear a hat or something like that, that people would look at her with, with disgust. And the minute she said that, man, my heart broke. I was like, ah, it's, you know, it's terrible. And I was angry and I was sad and I had all these emotions. And immediately she followed it up by saying, and it makes me happy. And it was the last thing I was expecting her to say. So I dug deeper. I said, I'm, I'm, tell me, why is that? What, what about it makes you happy? And she said, it makes me happy because in order for them to look at me with disgust, that must mean that they have never personally gone through chemo or radiation or fought a disease like I have. And they most certainly have never had a loved one go through what I'm going through. Because if they had, they would never be looking at me that way. So I'm happy that they have no context for my situation. And the minute she said that, I was like, whoa, like that, that is a great example of somebody who has an empowering mindset to look at their situation and to make the most of it. So I'm inspired constantly by people in our charity that look at their situation and still find the joy no matter what's going on. Like I'll give you another example. Somebody once said to me, they said, I'm grateful for cancer. And I said, I'm sorry. And they said, I'm grateful because cancer, not, not that I would want it again, not that I would wish it on other people. That's not the point of being grateful. I'm saying it happened. I can't change it, that it's there. So I'm choosing to see that I'm grateful for the gift that it provided, which was that my family came together in a way that I don't think we would have come together without this. We let, you know, we, we let go of the bickering. We, you know, we let go, we forgave so many of the things that we were used to think were important that were no longer important. And we just focused on love. We focused on, you know, how precious life is. And the truth is that, you know, while somebody in our organization may have gotten the news that their life is being threatened, right? That, you know, that, that, Hey, you're battling this. And, you know, sometimes they'll say you have X amount, you know, amount, months to live, or this is terminal or whatever it might be. But truly anybody listening today, guys, every single person that's listening, there is an end for us. We are all going to die. We all have a timeline that ends at some point. And if, it, if, if it's as, as much as you possibly would want it to be, if it's 100 or 125 years or whatever it is, there's still a timeline. But imagine that you, you know, what if you live to be a, a 300 typically and somebody came to you and said, you, I have bad news, you're only gonna live to be 100, right? You have this, this illness, it's called being human and you're only gonna live to be 100, right? But it's, it's like, we all have a timeline. And our lives are just made up of a bunch of moments, right? You want to have a great life? Great. String together a bunch of great years. Want to have a great year? 12 great months. You want to have a great month? 30 great days. You want to have a great day? You know, 24 great hours. You want to have a great hour? 60 great minutes. How do we manage the moment though? 
See, we think that sometimes life will be great when we blank or that once we achieve this or once my business does this or once I ki have kids or once my kids grow up or once I graduate college or once I – but the thing is like this is now. This is it, right? This is where it's all happening. So managing our mind is the key to managing the moment and managing the moment is the key to maximizing our lives no matter how short they may be or long they may be. And the truth is that none of us really know because you can do everything right. You could brush your teeth and eat healthy food and exercise and wear your seatbelt and do all these things. But I'll tell you what, when, it, when the time is here, the time is here. I, I, I once knew a guy in uh, Virginia Beach who was a, a Navy SEAL, uh, survived you know, massive amounts of uh, you know, overseas travel and battle and literally was in his car sitting at a traffic light when somebody ran a light and hit him and killed him. That was it. There's not anything that you and I or anybody listening isn't going to be doing today that somebody else wasn't doing when it was their last day, whether it's talking on a podcast, brushing your teeth, driving a car, or doing anything else. The point is we need to make the most of our time. That's not meant to sadden anybody. That is meant to motivate you to maximize this moment. That is meant for you to remember that tomorrow is guaranteed to nobody. And you're not going to do anything to earn tomorrow entirely. It's a gift to you. It's given to you. It's a gift. And it's your job to open that gift and use that gift and maximize that gift. And that's what moment makers do for themselves and for others. And we do that by managing our mindset. Such a powerful lesson. And, and I, I love the point that we often think that we're going to be happy when X happens, when in reality, we have to focus on the present and we have to pursue and enjoy and live in this moment. That's what you have. That's what you have. And talk to anybody who's achieved that thing. And I'm not saying there's not moments of like pride or joy when you summit the mountain, but very quickly that turns into what's the next adventure, right? Yeah, what's the next adventure? Eric Weinmayer. Do you know who he is? Eric Weinmayer. He's uh, the only blind man to summit Mount Everest. He is a, a, a blind man who summited Mount Everest. And on his way down the mountain, one of his friends turns to him and says, Eric, don't let summiting Mount Everest be your greatest achievement. And he said that motivated him so much that he then went on to kayak through the Grand Canyon, the Colorado River, 277 miles blind. And you just think about like his point is that summiting Mount Everest or doing these things is just a part of his adventure. And it's just on to the next thing. And that life is just about like, it's about training for and experiencing all pieces of the adventure. But the true adventure is in the preparation. The true adventure is in, in getting you there. That's why we realized this wasn't about just a day. It's not about a front row day. It's about everything that happens leading up to it. It's about the day, yes, but it's also about everything that happened in the past. Your life is a mixture of all that. Celebrate what was good, right? Write the story the way you want it in the past. Have some hope for the future. That's different than wishful thinking. I want to be clear about that. Hope is not weak. Hope is not like I wish things were different. Hope says I have a vision of the future and I can do something about it. That's hope, right? And then living in the moment through that process. You've got the past. You've got the future. You bring the power of the past and the power of the future into the present moment and you maximize now. That is the essence of what we wrote about in the book. That's what we've learned from everybody who has been fighting for their lives. And we do that by simply asking the right question. And the right question is, how do I recognize or create a front row moment right now in my life? We do that, 
we win the game. I love it. It's it's so inspiring and and you know, I can tell you're incredibly passionate about it and and I mean this I I want to integrate this more into my life. I want to create front row moments. And uh, you know, I'm I'm really excited to to be able to to get all of this wisdom from you. I want to I want to now circle back because there's another question you talked about at the very beginning of the conversation that to me is also really interesting and inspiring and that was the idea of rating your contribution to the world and on a scale of 1 to 10 tell me about you know why that question is so powerful Well I think it's an awareness I think for so many of us that we are unaware in our lives I, when you think about enlightenment think about that word like it's just the lights are on enlightenment is when the lights come on and you can see finally what's going on. Mindfulness, which is huge right now, right? And But we say huge right now, but how many thousands of years, right, has mindfulness been huge right now, right? It's been uh, in different parts of the world. It's just about turning the lights on. It's about being quiet enough that we can hear the, the hell yeses in our heart. It's about It's about quieting long enough to be able to know what is your inner guidance system saying. And I think that oftentimes that's the big key. So when somebody asks a question, we become like, hey, on a, wow, I never thought about that. Like my favorite thing to hear is when I ask a question and somebody says, that's a great question. Or when they don't have an answer or when they pause because now I've given them something new to think about. Here's a great thought about questions too. I'll just give a little a tangent. The best questions aren't always the ones you want an answer to. Like if you're in a conversation, right, and you're asking questions, the best questions aren't the ones that you want an answer to as the person asking the question. It's the ones they do. See, when I am in a conversation with somebody, I'm at a party and I'm talking, I'm not asking questions that I want answers to. I'm searching for the question that they want an answer to. You want to light somebody up? Ask them a question that they're like, wow, that's a great question because they want that answer more than anybody. That's why one of my favorite questions, so simple, so easy, is what dream is making you come alive right now? You know why I love asking that question? Because they need to be reminded of it, because they want the answer, because they want to talk about that. Or I'll even ask the question like, hey, what's something you love to talk about that you're not getting enough time to talk about right now? Right? Like, it's just simple, direct. I'll even ask sometimes like, what's a question you wish people would ask you more often? (laughs) Right? Like, it just gets right to the heart of it. But when we think about questions, this one to 10, why that's so powerful is it's an awareness. For me, my answer was like a three. I was just aware that I was like, wow, but I want that to be a 10. I want my contribution to the world to be a 10. I want to give and be significant. I want to leave my mark on the world so that I didn't feel that my life or my gifts was wasted. That would be the greatest tragedy is that whoever had given me this body and this life and this spirit that I didn't want to uh, throw that away. Uh, and I also know that there's a lot of people that, that need to step up or this isn't going to work. Like, I just want people to know that this isn't going to be a happy ending for planet earth. If people don't step up, like this isn't just going to all work out by itself. The environment, the amount of trash we're producing, the amount of waste, the way we treat each other at times as a human race, like this isn't going to work out. The civilization, and this isn't be to do doom and gloom. It's just to say, no, this isn't like a bunch of BS. Like this is going to collapse unless we do something. And one of my favorite things, I don't remember who said it, but they were like, if not you, then who? If not you, then who? Like, is it always everybody else? Is it always the government's job? Is it, you know, when you're, if you're a parent listening to this, do you send your kids to school being like, they're supposed to educate your kids? Is it, is it the, the government in your local, you know, community that's supposed to like make everything great? 
uh, are other people supposed to pick up all the trash in your neighborhood? Like, what are you, you know, we're supposed to do this. It's us. This is nobody else. Like it's you and me and the people listening right now. It's our job. We're responsible. We're a part of this team. And so I think that when the question was posed, that turned on a light for me. I hadn't thought about that. And then a bunch of other things kind of cascaded from it. But when we become aware of what's good in our lives or what's not good in our lives, what's missing and what's there, and we, we have a careful balance of that. Where are we and where do we want to be? Right? What does level 10 look like? What does ideal look like? Where are we now? Be honest with yourself. Like if you're overweight, be honest with yourself. If you're, uh, you know, if, if you're, if you're a crappy parent, be honest with yourself. If you're treating your spouse like crap, be honest with yourself or your girlfriend or whatever. If you're treating yourself like crap, be honest with yourself. If you're drinking too much, be honest, right? Just be honest about where you are and don't beat yourself. I'm not, I didn't say beat yourself up. I said, be honest, different. Know where you want to be and ask, what is the next step? What's the very next thing I need to do? What's the highest value activity? What could I do that by doing that one thing would have the biggest impact on everything else? And then do it. So great. And, and, and there's, I mean, this, this is such a relevant thing. And I, I totally agree. What you're saying aligns tremendously with the mission of our podcast, which is to try and help people become a little bit smarter, a little bit wiser, take, you know, take their action into their own hands, become more self-aware and understand yourself so that, you know, what we were talking about earlier, put, put the oxygen mask on first so that we can help to build a better world, right? So that we can unleash the incredible power of humanity to solve all of the challenges that we have before us. And to me, you know, one of the things you touched on, which is the importance of, of self-awareness, it's, it's so, we hear it again and again and again, it's, it's almost, it's almost cliche on the show at this point, because so many guests come on and talk about if you're not aware of your, of your own problems, your own limitations, if you don't have an honest, clear vision of what issues you're facing, you're not going to be able to take some of the first steps that are necessary to walk this path and to, and to live this journey. Yep. Yeah, hundred percent. You know, people have also also used the analogy of the GPS, right? You know, GPS. You could punch in where you want to go, but the first thing that it has to know is where are you. That's perfect. So, so John, I'm curious for somebody who's who's listening now that is amped up about this and and wants to become a moment maker, wants to live life in the front row. What is one simple piece of homework you give them that's kind of an action step they can take? right now or today to, to begin that journey? Well, my first invite is read the book, you know, get the front row factor, a piece of every book goes to support front row foundation. So you'll be helping create the next event. And it is the best of what we've learned from these incredible, nearly hundred people that we've served over the last 11 years. So that the wisdom in there, it's stories, it's compelling. There's science to back up all of our ideas. There's great specific strategies. Uh, that is a year and a half worth of work for me compiled into, you know, 260 pages. People tell me it's a quick read. M many people have told me they've consumed it in one sitting. And I think that's my, my invite. So is, is get the book and check it out and that learn from all these people like we have. What I would also say is that if you don't have access to that in some way, shape or form, then my invitation is to ask yourself the question, what makes you come alive? Who makes you come alive? What environments, what people, and what thoughts, what questions, when you ask them, make you come alive inside, where you feel engaged because you've asked that question, when you get that, oh yeah, 
type of response and spend time with those, right? You're managing your mindset. It's like anything. You're not just born with an incredible mindset. You work on that. And then you work on your relationships, right? You work on acquiring, keeping, growing your relationships. And then you work on your environment, you know, where you are spending your time, you're literally your physical environment. And how can you take, take right now your biggest dream you're chasing, write it down and hang it up on the wall, write down, sit down, think about your best relationships and what are their dreams and hang it up on your wall, right? Write down the question, how will I, how can I, right? Contribute to the world in a way that I'm proud that makes the biggest difference for others. Write down some form of that question and hang it up. Write it with a dry erase marker on your bathroom mirror, right? Write it on your bathroom mirror with lipstick or with anything around with shaving cream. I don't care what it is, but just like create an environment that makes you come alive. Do these things for yourself and for others and talk about it. Like, you know, we, at the end of our book, we, we invite people to what we call the front row moment experiment, which is like, all right, listen, for eight days, Capture at least one front row moment every day. Document it in the way that you can. If it's just in a journal, great. If you can do it on Facebook and share it with others, great. Hashtag front row moment. Share it with the world. Do that for yourself and you'll start to inspire other people. They'll ask you like, what's a front row moment? And you're like, oh, front row moment's a moment that makes you come alive. It could be anything from watching the sunset to playing with your kids to you know uh, closing a sale at work or, or something like that. But it's just a moment where you're connected to something that feels purposeful, meaningful. So maybe that's the one ask is, guys, go out there and create a front row moment for yourselves and others today. And you could do that in any way. It could be small or big, but do something that creates a front row moment. And where can people find you and, and the book online? frontrowfactorbook.com, frontrowfactorbook.com. We'll get you directly to the book. You can go to frontrowfactor.com and you can get access to everything there, which uh, we'd love to, to hear from everybody. If you've uh, enjoyed this show, you want to send me a tweet at John Vroman, J-O-N-V-R-O-M-A-N. Connect with me on Facebook, Instagram, but the website has everything, frontrowfactor.com. And we'll be sure to include all of that in the show notes at scienceofsuccess.co. John, thank you so much for coming on here, sharing your inspiring journey and all this wisdom. It's been a great conversation and it's been an honor to have you on here. Oh, thank you. Appreciate it. This has been a blast. Thank you so much for listening to the Science of Success. Listeners like you are why we do this podcast. The emails and stories we receive from listeners around the globe bring us joy and fuel our mission to unleash human potential. I love hearing from listeners. If you want to reach out, share your story, or just say hi, shoot me an email. My email is matt at successpodcast.com. That's M-A-T-T at successpodcast.com. I'd love to hear from you, and I read and respond to every single listener email. Remember, the greatest compliment you can give us is a referral to a friend, either live or online. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us an awesome review and subscribe on iTunes. That helps more and more people discover the science of success. I get a ton of listeners asking, Matt, how do you organize and remember all this information? Because of that, we've created an amazing free guide for all of our listeners. You can get it by texting the word SMARTER, that's S-M-A-R-T-E-R, to the number 44222, or by going to successpodcast.com, that's successpodcast.com, and joining our email list. Lastly, if you want to get all this incredible information, links, transcripts, everything we talked about in this show, and much more, be sure to check out our show notes. Just go to successpodcast.com, hit the show notes button at the top. 
Thanks again, and we'll see you on the next episode of The Science of Success.